Yeah, put that first one on, that would be great. So, um, Jan's already said that the second session of the Bible course is on tonight. Um, hopefully, all of the road closures will be gone by then, but Malcolm says they were an hour and, hour and a quarter starting late this morning. All oh, right, quarter to twelve first ones in. I think they were, it was the swimming on the chase. Not on the chase, in the whatever. Chase walk, yeah. And I, didn't, I didn't think about but John has said if you, obviously they go in the fog, you can't see whether they're drowning or not. So uh, perhaps that's the reason why they were a bit late. Um, now you can see them drowning, yeah. <laughs> um, let's just think a few minutes about this, this passage. It's a really interesting, wasn't it? Jesus goes and finds this man demon-possessed and throws the demon into, or the demons into, a herd of pigs, um, and the pigs jump off the edge of a cliff. When I was looking into this, I, could, I found, because I wanted to look for some pictures, I found lots of pictures of children's books with this story uh, being um, obviously shown. And I, saw, I was thinking to myself, I don't know where I would start with this, trying to explain this story to children. Um, if you're a vegetarian, you might not like it because all the pigs get sort of, you know, the, end of the, the bad end of the stick. Um, if you like animals or whatever. So it's a really interesting one and I just want to unpick a little bit about what it means. Why did I put that up about the Bible course? Because actually, what the Bible course, what it did in the first week, it said these two things. And we're going to follow this this morning to try and get our heads around a little bit about what this passage might mean. So it says, whenever you come to a passage, you need to ask these two pretty fundamental questions. What did this passage mean in its context? So that's the first question. And what does this passage mean for my life today? And we're going to try and follow those two questions. So the first question is, what did this passage mean in its context? And then the second question, oops, the second question now, what does this passage mean for my life today? So let's have a little look at the context of this account where Jesus comes across this man. And we have to realise that when we read this, uh, we could just read it as a story and then just move on, but there are so many layers, in a sense, of meaning to this story and things that we need to find out um, to help us to make a bit of sense of it. So we read that the man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. So this man was living in the tombs, he, and it says he wasn't even been able to bind even with a chain. So you would imagine that there, there, this man has had whatever he's got for some time, and they've tried to shackle him and keep him under control, but he's obviously got huge strength and being able to um, unchain himself or break the chains, etc., uh, and all those sorts of things. Now, I'll come in a minute to what actually was the matter with this man, um, because there's perhaps lots of different views, and we'll unpick that a little bit more in a minute. But it's quite important that we remember that he lived in around where the tombs were, uh, because those sorts of places for a Jew would have been seen to be a bit unclean. So he's in a place where most people wouldn't like to go. So for he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So he's in this place that people feel that they wouldn't like to go, and in those days, those people um, that believed in demons would often believe that this is the sort of place that they would be. 
around about in the tombs, up in the hills, in the depths of any uh, forests or trees. So that's quite important that we get that context already. And then the second thing is, I found this picture of pigs that someone would suggest that these were the sort of pigs that jumped off the edge of a cliff. So they're not quite as R as the little piggy lips that, that we, um, some of us eat. Um, but there was a large herd of pigs that was feeding nearby the, the, nearby the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And that's an interesting thing again, because actually we've got a man here that's displaying this behaviour, um, who's in, a, in around and near where pigs are. So if you were a Jew, this would be a no-no place to go, really, because we know that Jews didn't like uh, pigs, and there were nowhere near pigs. So it's an interesting um, piece of context that we need to understand. And the last bit of context that I want to just explain to you is that it talks about a legion. When Jesus says to him, what is your name? And sometimes people feel that to know the name of the demon means that you can exert power over it. But the, the demon says, or, or the, the person says, it's a legion. Now a legion in those days was a Roman regiment of around 6,000 troops. Some people say it's between three and 6,000. And that's quite an important context and we'll come back to that in a minute. But what does this all mean? What does this all mean? It's really interesting when you read this passage because people take it from different angles. They take it from the angle that actually they take it very literally and they say, you know, there are demons and this person was demon-possessed, etc., etc., etc. Some people believe, if you look at the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels, we read lots of things about demon-possessed people, and some people believe that's because Satan was most active when Jesus was here on earth, and elsewhere in the Bible you don't really read about it as much. There's an occasion in Acts, and there's a, uh, two or three occasions in the Old Testament, but many more in the New Testament. So some people say, well, actually, we need to take this literally. This is a demon-possessed man, and Jesus um, took that demon, those demons out of that man and put them into the pigs. Some people say, well, actually, in those days, they didn't know how to explain mental health issues or mental illness. So surely what this was was a person that had very extreme mental health um, issues. Now, I, I sort of... Well, I will go through, you see where I end up with all of that. I know that my mum's mum, uh, when after, sometime after she had, a, uh, had my mother, she suffered um, really, really bad postnatal depression. And so I'm not quite sure what period of time this would have been, but um, obviously maybe, I don't know, when would it have been? Maybe the 1940s. And uh, no one could explain that. And I always remember my mum saying to me that she was upstairs in her bedroom one day because her dad had told her to go up there and what they were doing was is that the people came along she said and they took my mum screaming and shouting and she didn't know where where they were taking her was to a mental health hospital where they did a frontal lobotomy on her because of the ignorance at that time because we've grown to know a lot more now about what was the matter with my gran you can't believe that can you can't believe that. Um, but some people come to this passage and say, actually, you know, this, this person was actually suffering some awful um, mental illness and the language that they used in those days 
was demon possession. Anyway, we'll come back to that in a little while. So whenever we get sort of issues like that, I often go to this web at these people. Oh, sorry, I've gone a bit too far, have I? No, I haven't. Let's do this one next. Um, so where am I with all of that? Well, let me take you through a few, through a few things. The Bible is very, very clear that Satan exists. And sometimes we don't talk enough about Satan, but he's out there, and we know that he exists, and uh, he is referred to in Mark chapter 3 as the Prince of Demons. Um, And so he's not a nice chap. Uh, And James 2, it says, You believe that there is one God, God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And there could be lots and lots of references to demons that I could pick up. Matthew 4, 24. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralysed, and he healed them. Now that's a bit of a clue for me about what this is all about because we see a whole list of things there and one of them is specifically about demon possession. Um, Often sometimes the way that uh, the Bible talks about it in the New Testament with people that are um, demon-possessed, it sometimes says that they have epileptic fits or that they, um, that they might be blind or uh, they might be deaf and things like that. Now, I don't think that that... I think that's a mix-up of what this is all about. Matthew 4, for me, actually distinguishes it as a particular um, condition other than the, all of the other ones uh, that are listed there. So I go to these people because I think they're quite good um, and they're called the Christian Medical Fellowship. So it's a, it's a bit like a group of people who are Christians and who are medics uh, in the medical profession. And these people have written this, a chap called Chris Cook has written this. Actually, I say Chris Cook, he might be a lady, don't know. Um, but Chris Cook has written that. I believe that there is a danger that we look for demonization amongst those who are psychiatrically ill for a variety of reasons which do not have a basis in their similarity. So what this person is saying is we often confuse the two because we think that demon possession, an explanation of demon possession in the Bible would is similar to somebody who may have who is psychiatrically ill. But he's saying, I don't think we should do that with the description of demon possessions that's found in the Gospels. And he goes on in this article, which is really, really interesting. I believe that we may encounter demonic activity in all walks of life, just as Jesus did. If and when we have such an encounter, we can be confident in his authority, that's Jesus' authority, over such matters which he has delegated to us. So how do we recognise those sorts of things? There's this um, verse in 1 John which is taken out of context, I believe, by the, what we might describe as spiritualists because they believe that trying to get in contact with the spirits is driven from reading this verse, which I think is wrong. Um, but in 1 John we read, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. That's what spiritualists will use. 
um, to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. So this is what the Spirit of God is about. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in this world. So, what did this passage mean in its context? So we've picked up some of the things already that we need to understand as we come to this, this passage. And here are three things that I think that we have to take from this in its context. So Jesus went to places that were considered unclean. I think it's a really, really important thing. That Jesus knew where he was going... He knew who he would be seeing. He knew the situation and he still went there. And for us, some of those may not seem as important about the fact that it's in tombs and all of that. But for the Jew of the day, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus was a Jew. It would have been a big thing. Jesus goes to places where others would have considered it to be unclean. The second thing I want to say is that Jesus recognised the man's anguish. Now, some people will say, um, you know what, I don't think it was demons, I just think this man was very ill. And I suppose if you took that line, you'd say, well, why did Jesus do all of that stuff with the pigs? And some people will say, no, you need to read the Bible, we know that the devil exists, we know that he's got... um, fallen angels with him, this was demon and the man um, actually was like he was because of that and that's why Jesus put those demons into the pigs. I, in one sense, whatever way you take that, what Jesus did was to recognise the anguish that man was in. And if that man believed that he was actually had demons inside of him Um, and we talk about the legion don't we so he must have thought that there was lots and lots and lots perhaps Jesus had to do something with those pigs to show the man that actually there were lots that were coming out of him there were lots that were coming out of him and going into those pigs so he showed Jesus showed his power he recognised the man's anguish he showed he had power by healing the man and throwing a legion into the sea. Some of you might know somebody called Tom Wright. Tom writes lots of really good Bible studies and all sorts of things. He really dwells on this bit about legion because he said in those days the, the people would have been overcome by Romans and legions of Romans. And actually, fact, what Jesus was doing was giving even another layer of message here by saying, you know what, those sorts of legions, they've got no power over me. I can just throw them into the sea and forget about them. They've got no power over me. And in many ways, we can look at this passage in, and all, all of those different layers because for some people, that would have been important to know. That would have been important to appreciate and to understand. I suppose the one thing before we go on to what, what it means for us today is that I find this one verse that's almost right in the middle, the most amazing verse, 
When he saw Jesus, so let's remind ourselves, this is a man that's been tried to be tied and bound and chained. He was so strong that he'd ripped all of those off of him. He was um, obviously very, very disturbed for lots and lots of reasons. And he sees Jesus afar. And I sort of get the sense that he he wouldn't have recognised Jesus because he wouldn't have seen him before. But there was something about Jesus that led that man who saw him from a distance to run towards him and fall on his knees in front of him. Now, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? I don't think that man recognised Jesus, but there was something about Jesus that led that man to run, to fall on his knees in front of him. So, what does this passage mean for my life today? And we've just got one or two more just to think about. So, I want to return to this. Um, It's really, really, really important. We have to remember, as Christians, that Satan is real. There is somebody called Satan. Um, And sometimes we almost don't focus on that enough to actually understand that some people will be emotionally, physically attacked um, in some way by Satan. The Bible tells us that the devil was an angel who rebelled against God and was therefore cast to earth along with his army of angels uh, or demons. Consequently, he is like... There's a passage. um, He uh, says it there, doesn't it? Consequently, he is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So in 1 Peter we read, Be alert and of sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith now if we know if we believe that Satan is around he's got his bunch of angels um, to do his his dirty work (coughs) we need to pray for people that they are protected don't we protected from that sort of stuff because actually it's real Um, T.S. Lewis wrote this which I think is great Um, T.S. Lewis wrote in the screw tape letters which uh, are really good it's an interesting uh, book about people who go around and try and convince people that it's okay to do things and that's uh, Satan and all his little mob there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils one is to disbelieve in their existence The other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that's Satan and his other fallen angels, they themselves are equally pleased in both errors and hail a materialistic or a magician with the same delight. So it's a reality that we have to understand. Which is why I come back to, it's a it's a really difficult sort of passage, isn't it, to tell children at that sort of level. Huh? I mean, crumbs, you'd, you'd have real nightmares about that one, wouldn't you, eh? Um, I don't know how you, where you would start. So, what does it mean for us then? Well, the first thing I want to say is, let's be very careful when talking about demon possession. Because sometimes in the Bible, it talks about stuff like that, and it, then it is the same context it talks about people with epilepsy people who can't hear or can't speak 
And we have to be really careful. For me, where I've ended up is that I think both exist. I think I can't ignore the fact that what the Bible says is that there's Satan, and I can't ignore the fact that the Bible says that there were some other fallen angels that joined Satan, and I can't ignore the fact that actually sometimes Jesus spoke to demons and actually got them out of people. What we do know is that the majority of all of that, in the whole of the Bible, which is a great span of history, a great chunk of that, if not the vast majority, happened in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus was here on earth. But then there there is other things, that people that were brought to Jesus who were just very, very poorly. And it's amazing how people can get poorly. And we're uh, meeting Bessa later on. Bessa is the daughter of Gladiola and Vasil. She's now a consultant neurologist and works in Liverpool. And she told me the other day, she says, I have people that come to me in a wheelchair, I come to people that come to me who, are, who say that they are blind, and they're not. But their brain has got to such a situation that they are completely, completely convinced that they are. Which is just incredible. And I said, well, what about the blind person? They said, they will come and they will not be able to see because their brain... And she tried to explain to me and I sort of lost the plot then. Um, but that's incredible, isn't it? So we have to be really careful here. I think that there is something that's called demon possession, but there are, it's a long, 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 long way away from somebody who may either be psychiatrically ill or physically ill. So please don't go away from here and think that everyone um, who suffers from those sorts of conditions is demon possessed, because that would be completely daft. Completely daft. I, I've said this story before, I remember, Anne, do you remember once when when we were on street pastors and um, we had this chap, now he might have just been heavy on drugs, who knows, but we took him to one side because he came to talk to us and he wanted to talk to us and there was something very, very eerie about him, wasn't there? It really was very strange. And, and we talked, we've talked to lots of people who are either drunk or drunk and drugged and drugged. Um, but this chap was very, very different and it was, it was eerie, wasn't it? It was very eerie and very powerful. And we started to pray for him, and at that point he just went, didn't he? He just he went completely, and it was it was quite quite scary. So who knows? I, I'm not saying that he was demon possessed, but I'm saying that actually there is. I don't I don't disbelieve that something like that could happen. Let's be aware that Satan is real. I didn't remember that, no. I was a bit scared myself, to be honest. Because <laughs> when we talked to him, it was the, probably the, one of the few spots where there wasn't a CCTV camera, wasn't there? Yeah, it was, it was, it was very, very eerie. So let's be aware that, the sat- that Satan is real. Let's think about really carefully about the words that we use around that. But let's be like G- Jesus. Because, you see, for me... What is the powerful bit of this story is that Jesus went to see this man. He knew he was going to be there and he went to see him. And he entered into his world, which was a very confused, very unsettled, very um, unwell world. And that's what we need to do, isn't it? We cannot engage with people unless we get alongside them. We all know this, don't we? We cannot understand them until we really get alongside. When Paul says, I've become all things to all men, because actually I want to win them for the gospel. 
That's why I do that. And so sometimes you might end up talking about the most boring of things, like train spotting or something. But you might think, actually, do you know what? It's worth talking about train spotting with this person because actually I'm getting to know them. And that's their world. Um, perhaps that wasn't a good example. But <laughs> um, and finally, let's recognise hurt, pain and anguish. Let's recognise in each other um, and in the people that we mean, because that's what Jesus did. And, why, and what he did with that person on that day, whatever you may feel, whether it was, it was truly demon possession or whether it was just um, some very, very uh, deep-seated um, psychiatric health issue, which I don't think it is on this occasion, what, whatever Jesus thought, he, he did something that made that person well. So, let me finish. And let us just return to this verse. When he saw Jesus, this is this man, just, can you imagine this man who's been out in this sort of desolate place, having been chained and all of those sorts of things, obviously very, very um, disturbed in, in many, many ways. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And I couldn't get this verse out of my head as, as I was looking at this passage. Because there's, we don't do any kneeling here, do we? Um, some of you might say, well, if I kneeled, I'd never get up. And to be honest, I might not get up very quickly with my back like this. But I remember once going on a scripture union camp and we sang a song where it said, and I fall on my knees. And this chap to me just sort of literally just got down and started kneeling. And I thought, well, what are you doing? But actually, do you know, I really wish I'd done the same thing. Because there is something about... I'm not going to get you all to kneel, don't worry. But there is really something about our body language which affects us in, in the way that we think. And then I found this verse. <coughs> Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him on reaching uh, the place. He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw. So this is, we know this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he, drew, he drew, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. This is the Son of God, kneeling down to pray to his Father. But then this bit got me. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Son of God kneeled in front of his father. Why did he do that? Because he recognised the authority of God his father. And he was saying, you know what, this is, this is me submitting myself to you. Not my will, but yours be done. Let me finish. Psalm 95 says this, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, we don't do any kneeling in this church and I'm not going to Neil, it's still a sort of certain mindset, isn't it? This is all about.
distance and they saw him coming towards Jesus. And I don't know, you know, you could always imagine them, can't you? Sort of thinking, oh, we've got to protect Jesus. Let's do a little circle around him. He's obviously not, he's not all ticket. You know, let's, let's keep Jesus safe. And this man, who had been so um, distraught through all sorts of things, just kneeled in front of Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we have your scriptures and we thank you that we can read it in its context then but also in its relevance to us today. Protect us and our church family from Satan and his fallen angels. Protect us and from ever getting too involved even thinking about those things. Protect us from other people who are being used by Satan. Protect us from situations where Satan has his grip over what happens. Lord Jesus Christ, we know that you have the power over evil. You demonstrated that through your death on the cross. We do not need to be afraid. We just need to acknowledge your power, King of kings, Lord of lords. And in doing so, Lord, we kneel in front of you. We come to you with an attitude in our hearts of reverence and praise. And we come to you with an attitude of not our will, not my will, but yours be done. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.